Hello, and welcome to this sixth episode of Low Season Traveller Insider Guides. I'm Jed Brown, founder of Low Season Traveller, and for this episode, we're going to look at an often overlooked destination in Southeast Asia, Myanmar. Bordering India, Bangladesh, China, Laos, and Thailand, Myanmar is quite unlike any other land you know about, so wrote Rudyard Kipling. To help us understand why Myanmar is so different, and to help us learn more about what Myanmar offers, I'm delighted to be joined today by Edwin Briels, who's the Managing Director for Kiri Travel Myanmar. So, good morning, Edwin, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jed. <laughs> Great to have you Thank here. You. So, um, Edwin, listen, tell us, first of all, a little bit about the story of your relationship with Myanmar. You've obviously been here for quite a number of years, and we can tell from your accent that you're, you're not from Myanmar originally. So tell us a little bit about your relationship with the country. Sure, sure. Thank you. And uh, thank you for having me. Like, I'm Dutch indeed. Uh, so I'm born in the Netherlands. And I've been traveling around, around Southeast Asia for quite a while, like, like after I graduated. And it's, I think it's one of those things that you do, like when you're from Europe and you graduate, you travel around and you try to find which country is actually the best yep. to live in. Um, so I've been over uh, to India, to Nepal, to, to the rest of Southeast Asia and start working as a tour leader in tourism in Thailand. And once I had a holiday uh, and it was during the water festival in 1996, which was then the, the visit near my year. So I decided to hop over to Myanmar because I only had seen it from, from a distance at the Golden Triangle. And it was one of those defining moments that you arrive in a country and you think like, wow, this is my country. <laughs> this is where you feel at home. So I've been traveling around in 1996 for uh, a month and loved it so much. And I was feeling a bit like, wow, I'm very lucky that I'm here this time because I'm sure it will all change. Now, 20 years later, 22 years later, I'm still here. And actually, it didn't change. Of course, like some things improved. Like, like okay, we all got the internet now. Um, and the infrastructure is much better. But what I love about the, the country is that the heart of the people, the way the, the people behave, they, the way they greet you, the way they welcome visitors, has always been stayed the same. So I think that's the, the main reason for me to, to live here. So since 96, since my first time, I, um, I came back and forward till about 2000. And in 2000, I found a job here and started working here and living here. In between, I was for three years in, in Thailand. So I missed some of the Cyclone Nagas and the, the Hmong demonstrations. And then I came back eight years ago to set up Kiri Travel. Very good. Uh, so you've been here all together now what, for 50, 15 years, I guess, is it? Over 15 years. Yes. Over 15 years. Very good. And now, how, how then does, you know, you said that you, you fell in love with Myanmar. You traveled around, obviously, quite a bit uh, when, when you first went out to Southeast Asia. How is Myanmar different and its people different from the rest of Southeast Asia? It's maybe because it was close for the rest of the world for so long that you have um, an, an, an authentic experience whereby it's not all about a Western or commercial atmosphere. It's not all about shopping or showing off. It's, it's just people having their life, leading their life, taking care of their communities, taking care of their families, and just being very content with what they have and what they do. And I think that's what's made the country so special. 
still nowadays, like um, Myanmar is year after year uh, chosen to be the most generous country in the world. Oh, it's wow. according to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Yeah. And when you're here and you look around in communities, and it's not only the Buddhist communities, it's also the Muslim communities and the Christian communities, you feel it that people really take care of each other. I'm not sure why it happened like that. Maybe like the, the whole bad situation of the military regime led to a situation that people had to take care of each other. But it's very good to see that still nowadays that people are generous uh, and really like taking care. And that's what makes the country so special. Yeah, I, I must admit, I've, I've, I've heard that before, that the, the people, uh, the, the locals in Myanmar are among the most welcoming in, in Asia, if not the world. Uh, and that they have a genuine love and fascination for people who visit the country and from, from different nations as well. So I have heard that before right now. Yeah, and I think that's what makes traveling so special nowadays. I mean, like, of course, I mean, people travel a lot all around the world. And there is a moment that people say like, okay, well, I've seen enough temples or I've seen enough waterfalls or I've seen enough of this or that. So the next step is about experience. And the experience always comes with connection with people, meet yeah. different personalities, meet different people. And in this country, we have like, like 130, more than 135 different tribes. And you have people from all kinds of backgrounds. And I think that's what makes traveling so special in this country, like to meet people from the countryside, from the Dreisen, or from the hill tribes, or from the city, uh, from different generations who lived during different periods from socialism to a, a, a military dictatorship to a, like a small like and starting democracy now and I think that's what makes a trip to this country so fascinating and of course you know Myanmar has has quite a rich cultural heritage um, and there's a lot of different landmarks and sites for tourism to for tourists to see as well uh, when they're there, talk us through some of the talk us through some of the popular experiences uh, that you're finding people uh, booking on at Kiri. Um, popular experiences is like it's indeed like it's very rich culturally and also like in terms of the nature. Um, starting like in in Yangon, you have uh, the Shwedegon Pagoda, which is the most important Buddhist pagoda in the country. And the special thing about it, it's, it's not just a monument, it's like a living monument. Like when you visit there, probably like 95 or 99% of the other people there are Burmese people who stroll around or go there to pray or meet other people. It's a, it's a beautiful temple, it's a golden temple uh, with a lot of small temples surrounding and you, we take clients to the surrounding areas where you have monasteries and markets. Uh, to see the daily ways of life and the, the way how uh, people like like living in that area. So that's that's in Yangon. Then from there, like you have like a lot of different destinations. We have people who stay up to like six weeks uh, because we wow. have like so many different places. The highlights, the, the most known ones, of course, are Bagan and Inlay Lake. Bagan is an ancient temple city. Um, it used to be one of the biggest cities in Southeast Asia, compared with the Angkor Wat period where you had Angkor Wat. Mm. Um, beautiful scenery of temple ruins where you can go around by electric bike, by horse cart, by car, by bicycle. 
and just to see the landscape of all these different temples and stop at whatever temple you like and start to discover that. Likely at half or more than half of the temples, you will be the only tourist there just because there's so many of them. And it gives a feeling about exploring the area. From there, you can go onwards to Inle Lake, which is a huge lake uh, in the mountains, in the Shan Mountains, with floating gardens, villages on stilts, and it's perfect for hiking, uh, for walks to the different tribes there, to go biking, uh, kayaking on the lake. So it's more focused on the nature there. I've seen, I've seen pictures of some of these. So I've, I've never been to Myanmar myself, and, and I've traveled quite, quite a bit around Southeast Asia. But I was looking at some of the photographs on Kiri.com website, and it, it actually blew me away. Breathtakingly beautiful uh, in terms of the scenery, in terms of some of the temples. There's one temple which was on there, which is, it looks like it's on the top of a, a, a mountain or a hill, which just looks like nothing I've ever seen before. It's, yeah, I mean, a lot of these places look a bit like in fairy tales. Yeah. You just need the twinkly lights on top of it and you, you think yeah. you're like <laughs> enter the fairy tale. Yeah. yeah. And with it, like the most nicest population. I mean, it's, it's a lot of people when they co come here, they say like, wow, this is so breathtaking. This is so beautiful. It touches my heart and it's so different from what I would expect when I read just in the media about, about the country. Yeah, it's always it's that, it's that reality versus the perception, uh, which seems to be a, you know, a constant challenge for a number of different destinations, really. And what, what kind of feedback are you getting from, um, from the UK travelers uh, of their experiences in Myanmar that, that you're seeing? People simply love it. Uh, we just had a group of eight women, partly from the UK and, and a couple of them from Australia, Okay. And they were just amazed by the country, how amazed how safe they feel, because I think it is one of the safest countries on, on earth, probably. Um, I think a good example was like about safety. Like a niece, my niece, she was here recently, and she asked me about car registrations and why it was not on my name. And then she said, like, but what happens if it's stolen? And I turned around to her and said, like, that doesn't happen. I don't think I've really? ever heard of a car being stolen in this country. Because yeah. indeed, you would have a problem because the car registration is often on somebody else's name. So yeah. people like, feel really like uh, very, very safe. Um, women, like, anybody could walk around anywhere in Yangon at any time of the day or night, and I'm sure nothing would happen. Yeah. Um, so safety, that's, that's what people uh, comment about. Then in, in terms of experience, like number one always is people. Mm. Um, and other things like, of course, the sites, the nature, uh, but also people are amazed by the infrastructure. And this country has been leapfrogging in a lot of things. I mean, it, it was backwards. Like it changed to uh, a democracy seven years ago and then you you had the first elections and a full democracy uh two and a half years ago mm -hmm. so the moment that changed like the, the government really opened the country up and said like okay now we want like a good infrastructure for wi-fi for telephone yep. so you had yeah. two private companies start building networks around the country and as a result like up till seven years ago the, the internet in Myanmar probably was the worst amongst the world 
uh, I think that now it's one of the fastest and one of the cheapest around the world. We just had uh, last week some people from the UK that came in and said that it's, it's incredible how fast, how cheap the internet is in this country. All, all infrastructure has improved a lot. I mean, there's good roads, you have very good hotels, uh, good do telecommunication lines. Do you think that people are surprised by that? Do you think that's, that sort of goes beyond their expectations? Do you think people are expecting that the infrastructure won't be as good as it is? Um, yes, I mean, I'm European, so I can comment on that. Yeah. Often, I think we European people think always that everything is best in Europe. And sometimes we've been caught up by technology and especially by speeds. Because in Asia, things go fast. Yeah. In Myanmar, things go very, very fast because people don't have the time to linger around or not having a job or like wait for a month. They need to feed their family. They need to, to move forward. Yeah. So because of that, things go very fast. And also with technology, people adapt very quickly to technology. So we, we had an interesting podcast uh, last week. Well, we had the first part of the podcast with Chris Flynn from the World Tourism Association for Culture and Heritage. And the second part of it is actually being released uh, tomorrow. Um, but it was, an, it was an interesting podcast because Chris was talking about how many destinations now, newer, quote-unquote, up-and-coming destinations, are, as, they're, as they're wanting to open the floodgates to tourism, there's that sort of watchword of, you know, it needs to be managed and it needs to be done carefully. And I just wanted to get your take on, I, I know that Kiri are really quite passionate about uh, responsible tourism and responsible travel. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on what responsible travel means uh, for a destination like Myanmar, which is up and coming, clearly looking for more tourism. Is it ready for more tourism? And how can you make sure that that proposition is, is done in a responsible and sustained way? Okay, that's that's a lot of question in one. <laughs> no, the first like okay, our take on responsible tourism, uh, yeah. and I think that's also like our take on responsible entrepreneurship. I think that everything we do as a company should benefit uh, people and planet. Yeah, it's a responsibility. A responsible tourism is not saying about okay, and a small part of the profit goes to some charity. Yeah. No, responsible tourism is everything what we do. So what we do very carefully is like look at all the suppliers and see like which suppliers are really taking care of people and planet. And especially like in Myanmar, like, like especially when we started seven years ago, the first priority was looking at people um, because like you have a huge group of people who are having a daily challenge to... Uh, take care of the basic needs, food for their family, medicine, um, paying the hospital bills, take care for education, have a, have a roof that doesn't leak. Those basic needs, they feel, first need to be fulfilled. So like what we want to do like with responsible tourism, go throughout the country and like take people to places off the beaten track and see if we can start up tourism projects in those areas. So we have been helping a lot of local people to set up their own company in their village or in their community. And that could be anything from a cooking class to a, a bike rental or a kayak rental or just cooking food for our tourists, like for lunch at their house. 
because what I do believe and what I think is very important is that in Asia, like if you're like clever and you're born in the village in the countryside, I'd, I want that person to stay in the, his community and find a good job there. And at the moment, it's, it's often like if you're clever and you le live in the countryside and you don't want to be a farmer or you don't want to be a fisherman, you have to move to the city, which yeah. I don't think it's, it's, a, it's a good thing. Um, so we've been working a lot of that, like helping people to create small businesses in the countryside um, so that a lot of the money goes to that countryside, not just a small percentage of, of the profit. Um, then we look at for all the activities we do, how we can do it as most sustainable as possible, how to make sure that we definitely don't damage uh, the planet, but also like actively contribute to it. Uh, one of the examples what we recently set up was a star turtles, a Burmese star turtles information center. There was a government project right between Mendeley and Bagan where they were breeding the, the Burmese star turtles, which was almost extinct. The project has been very successful and they breeding them and then releasing them back into the wild. Uh, the reason they were almost extinct because they were exported to China uh, or to Thailand to be used as pets or to be used as food. People like to eat it. So we set up an information center in English and in Burmese to educate people in that community why it's so important that these uh, starters are protected. And we set up a project for our tourists to go with the rangers, follow the rangers for an hour in their daily job to trace, to track the Burmese starters in the wild. So it's actively doing good things and I think that's what responsible tourism should be about. It should okay. work for for planet, but it should work also for community. And, and definitely it also works for our clients because our clients love going there because they say, wow, it's interesting to see something really different. So I think that's what, what we really want to do as responsible tourism. Now, to come back on, on the, the, the podcast from, uh, from Chris mm -hmm. last week about over-tourism, I do think you have to be very careful indeed to make sure that like, when tourism starts, that people can still continue their own life. Um, at the same time, you have to make sure that people will uh, be able to get a livable income. And there where, where, where you see like some places in the world do suffer from over-tourism and there's just too much, uh, too many tourists at the same time at the same place. Yeah. Uh, I see in Myanmar that, that we're suffering from under-tourism. It means we don't have enough tourists to make sure that people who are working in tourism actually earn a livable salary the whole year round. And I think that's it's really important that we do get more tourists. Basically, somehow you can say, put the floodgates open. Because when you have more tourists, you also have more income to make sure that you have money to uh, put things systems in place to deal with things like uh, the garbage for tourists or to uh, protect the water in the lake or to protect other things. The moment that you don't have enough income and not enough tourists, you can't do much. To put it, to put it in perspective, the um, international tourists to Myanmar versus the number of international tourists to, say, Thailand, uh, what's the, do you know roughly what's the difference between the two of those? 
Um, yeah, well, we have statistics here for international arrivals at Yangon Airport, but that's yeah. international arrivals. It's also business people, it's, it's NGOs, it's diplomats, and it's me yeah. five times a year. <laughs> so when I look at tourists, I think it's fair to look at Bagan, which is the main tourist sites. Yeah. And Bagan last year had 320,000 tourists. Wow. Now, um, compare that with a site like Ankarwad. Um, yes. I'm not sure. I think Ankarwad is about 4 million tourists. Um, so yes, that means Bagan as a city just doesn't get enough tourists to really put good garbage collection system in place, for example. So what we've done as a company, as Kiri Travel, there's a small NGO, or it's a group of volunteers, it's called the Bagan Plastic Campaign. And these are like volunteers from different hotels and ballooning companies who go around Bagan Temple area to collect garbage, plastic, every Saturday and Sunday. So uh, as a company, as Kiri Travel, we said like, well, you still have that truck from Monday till Friday. What about we, we pay the salary for two people full-time just to be a garbage collecting person, um, just to make sure that we can keep the site clean and to hope that it leads to a system that we can have a proper garbage collecting system. And that's, um, I mean, that's a, that's a, a great incentive and it's, um, it's, it's great for your, for your clients to see you know, how much you do in, in, in this kind of field as well. Um, I was looking on your website as well, um, and it says that you're Travel Life Certified. For those people that aren't aware, what, what does that involve, being Travel Life Certified? Um, Travel Life is a UK-based organization that is checking all kinds of companies working in tourism worldwide, um, how they, well, if, they, if they're taking their responsibility and take care of people and planet. So it's an organization which is... a. a Basically, they have a whole list of things that you need to comply with. And what's very important is just to look to your own organization and see, like, what are we doing currently and how can we improve things? Mm. So it makes sure that you come up with a lot of ideas, like how to behave yourself, but also, like, okay, with all your suppliers, how can they make it better? So it was very good to do it. It's... uh we were very proud. We, we, had, we were the first company in the country which, which was Travel Life certified. But apart from having that award, I think it's very important to make sure that all your people in your organization are aware that everything we do is done in a sustainable way. And so whenever people have to make any decision in their daily job, they don't have to come to me or they don't have to look in the book. They know it like, okay, what's the most, how do I think logically what's the most responsible thing to do when they do it? And I think that's what's very important that you get a, create a company culture whereby sustainability really counts. And what's very nice in Myanmar, I was talking before about uh, generosity, generosity of the Myanmar people. Um, there's a Burmese word called Setana. And Setana is some, something that everybody has in their heart. And I was teaching the other day at the, the tourism university, and I was teaching about sustainability in a company. And I asked the, the students, like, how would you translate Setana in English? And there was one girl, she said, like, it's not just about doing good things for people on planet. It's about 
having the will to do good things for people and planet. And I think that was very a very good one. So as a company, everybody, all our suppliers, all the staff, they know that we as a company have the will to do good things for people and planet. And it's actually a very good motivator for staff to work at this company. People naturally want to do that in their personal life. So if they work for a company which is doing that, that's even better. So that's why like, we don't really have problems with, with overturn of staff. People are happy to work here, not just because we're taking care of, of people, of course, but also because they know like, if I work for this company, this company is doing good things for the country. I love that. Do, you're doing the right thing. I'd like you say people people feel good about working for a company that does the right thing always as well. Yes, and I think it's actually it's very logical. <laughs> it's very yeah. Uh, I, I mean, and it, it, I think it's a worldwide thing. I think I think it is, but I think um, I don't I don't think every company is like that. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, not now. Exactly. So you know, we, we've sort of said that uh, you know the. the you have the opposite problem to over-tourism. You have under-tourism in Myanmar. And low season traveler obviously generally is focused more about travel during the low seasons. Now, clearly, there isn't really any particular challenge with traveling during the high season in Myanmar. But just so we understand, what are the high seasons and the low seasons in Myanmar? And how do they differ from each other? Um, yep, yeah, the... the the country has three seasons, so you have yeah, the winter season and then the, the, uh, the raining season and the dry season. Now, from October till January, February, uh, it's the winter season, which means that it's not cold like the UK. It's, <laughs> it could be like 20 degrees in the evening at places. And only if you go up in the mountains, maybe at nighttime, it could be eight degrees but not less than that daytime is still very nice and pleasant 25 to 30 degrees yes. uh, after the winter you have the summer season and the summer season starts like like uh, mid-february uh, till like may end of may um, and the summer season it's basically just like the summer season in southern europe um, it's dry it's blue skies um, and the sun is shining and it's it's Get, get warm uh, in the mid of the day. Like mid yeah. of the day, occasionally in April or May, it's above 36, 37 degrees. Um, so some people here say, oh, it's hot. I think most people in Europe, they say like, oh, that's nice. Lovely. <laughs> just make sure like, okay, like after lunchtime, just have a break for two hours and don't go yeah. running around the temple side like in the middle of the day. And then after that, starting from June, you have the raining season. So the raining season is from June till October. Now, I can very well imagine that people think like raining season, that's not where I want to go. Yeah. Um, so I think a better name for it would actually be the green season because yeah. it doesn't rain as much as it would in Europe. Plus, it's still very nice temperatures. Temperatures like in the daytime are between like 25 and 20, or 22 and 28 degrees. It's very nice. It's beautiful green um you have partly blue skies with those big clouds like which are beautiful for the pictures it's quieter everywhere and it's also the season of all the veggies and the, and the fruits so it's the mango season and the mangoes in this country are just the best in the whole world so it's 
typically it's a country where you can travel the whole year round. Now the only thing where I'm like being very honest with you is say like if it's the raining season, maybe don't go to the beach. Because yeah. it doesn't rain every day, but if it rains, it's miserable to be at the beach. Yeah. So try to avoid the places which are close to the coast um, yeah. in the southern part and in the eastern part, in the western part. The rest of the country, uh, it rains on average once every two days in Mendeley, Bagan, Inelik, Shan State, Kaya State. And when's, well, I mean, so obviously each, each season brings something different. Which is your personal favorite time of the year? Uh, it's, to be the, it, it's the green season. That's when, when I, yeah. I'll tell all my friends to come and all yeah. my family to come because yeah. it's nice and quiet. It's not too... It's not too hot. It's not too dusty. It's not too cold. Um, it's it's beautiful. So that's that's and it's it's often hotels they have actually pretty good deals, often with fifty percent discounts. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's a nicer period yeah. to come. Good to, good time to go. Okay, and in terms of um, getting to Myanmar, which airlines are served from the UK? How can how can people get to Myanmar? Um, there's flights, daily flights with Emirates. There's, I think five times a week, there's a flight with Qatar Airlines. There's no direct flights yet. Yeah. Um, and then there are, I think 25 flights a day between Bangkok and Yangon. Oh, uh, so you fly from the UK to Bangkok and then you have a choice of other flights to Yangon. Do AirAsia and those kind of guys fly it inside of Asia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Asia is not flying domestically, but they have flights from Bangkok. I think three flights a day to Yangon and two flights a day to Mandalay. Okay, perfect, perfect. Okay, so it's it's easy enough to get to. And obviously with the amount of flights that Emirates and uh, Qatar have from all of the UK airports, including the regional airports, there's a lot of options there. So I'll put a few example prices on the uh, on the website and on the details from the from the blog post, which I do for, for for this podcast as well, just so that people can get an idea. Obviously, for listeners that want to find out uh, more about what Edwin is doing and what Kiri are doing, uh, then obviously you can go onto the website, which is kiri.com. Uh, they can connect with you on LinkedIn. Are you on Facebook as well? Uh, yes, we are also on Facebook. So connect on, on LinkedIn and Facebook. And again, I'll put all of those links actually on the on the description for the podcast as well, uh, should people want to find out any more. So I just wanted to say a huge uh, thank you so much for giving us your time and sharing with us your uh, your experiences for Myanmar. It's certainly really high up on my uh, wish list now to visit Myanmar. And as you were talking about the friendliness of the people and the openness of the people, that's something which, which certainly resonates with me. So it's, um, it's very high on my list, and I'm sure it will be quite high on quite a, a few of our listeners' uh, lists as well. So thank you very much again, uh, Edwin Breyer, for, um, for sharing that with us. Well, thank you very much. And we hope to see more people from the UK to come uh, to, come to me and my visit and discover for themselves like, um, how beautiful the country is, how beautiful the people are and especially like how how much history there is because like like it, it was a former colony uh, to discover the personal history with this country and i think that's uh, that's a nice tagline that we've just got there discover your own personal history with myanmar so that's a wrap huge thanks again to edwin for sharing his insights on this fascinating destination with us 
And for anyone who has perhaps already discovered much of Southeast Asia and is looking for a different destination which is still relatively undiscovered and yet has a huge wealth of natural, cultural and historical wonders to experience, Myanmar is certainly worth evaluating. And you can see some wonderful itineraries and photographs on kiri.com forward slash Myanmar for further inspiration. That's k-h-i-r-i dot com forward slash Myanmar. As always, if you've got any feedback for us or if there's any destination which you'd like to see featured in this series, please do email us at lowseasontraveller at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your friends and social networks. Look out for the next episode on iTunes or even better, subscribe and receive it automatically. It's free for everyone as we believe that travel is better without the crowds.